39. If you don't have a Bible, there's one right in front of you in the hymn book rack. And it's the first book of the Bible. Just uh, find the first book of Genesis and turn to the 39th chapter. Last Sunday morning I talked to you about uh, a character in the, the book of Judges by the name of Gideon. And I felt to, to walk in a different path today, but continuing the same vein of thought and we want to identify the thought today as forfeiting his favor or fulfilling the favor of God. And there is a number of times in the verses that we'll look at today, the statement made that uh, the Lord showed favor or gave favor unto Joseph. And his lifestyle allowed for him to to live in the fruitfulness and fulfillment of God's wonderful favor. We, we talked a bit last Sunday morning about the fact that, that the world we live in, the culture that we are called to, at this present moment runs very parallel to that of the judges when the identification of the climate of the day in the last phrase of the last chapter of the book says, and every man did that which was right in his own eyes. There was no authority, no king in Israel, and everyone did that which was right in his own eyes. But there has always been and will always be a standard of authority for life and practice, and it is the Word of God. We want to lift and elevate today again that standard and that, that authority of the Word of God and conform our lives to that word and to resist the temptation to be influenced by the standards of the world. I just uh, heard recently of a man who had a gardener and he had noticed he had two watches, one on his left wrist and one on his right wrist. And he said to him, Walter, why do you wear two watches? And he said, well, uh, I... I check the time of this one by the time of this one. So he said, I know that if the time on this watch doesn't match the time on this watch, then this watch is wrong. And so the question of the man asked his gardener, well, how do you know that this watch is right? And he stood with that blank stare on his face because he was, he was accepting the standard of Another unproven standard as the one he would set his watch by. So the man took the occasion to explain to him Greenwich, England. There's a city in England, Greenwich, England, where there's that timeline. There is a time, there's a clock set there, and all the rest of the world set their clock by that clock. And so there is a universal standard of time in a little city in England called Greenwich, England, where a clock is set and everyone else, to avoid time chaos around the world, there is one time standard for everyone to, to set their clock by. Maybe you've heard the story of the man who every day would call uh, the telephone company and ask the operator for correct time of day, please. 
And uh, always he would respond the same time, the same way. It's 1159. This went on for a number of years. And finally, it was not policy from the phone company to allow their their operators to have personal conversation with those people who called in, but she just simply couldn't resist the temptation any longer. So one day she said to him, Sir, you know, I just out of curiosity, I've got to know who you are and what you are. Every day, the same time, you call me and ask for the correct time, and I tell you 11.59. He said, well, you see, I am the timekeeper at the local factory, and I have the responsibility of blowing the whistle at exactly 12 o'clock noon, and everyone sets their clock by my whistle. She said, oh, my gosh, I've been setting my time by your whistle. So you know what? We need to have a standard, don't we? We have to have a, 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 an authority by which we can set the clock, the time of our lives. I'm glad we have one. An infallible, eternal, inspired, inerrant word of God that we can, can look to and live by no matter who or where we are. As far as musicians are concerned, they're called upon to give concerts everywhere around the world in in France and in London and in Tokyo and in New York City. How would they know that that middle C on, on this piano will be the same tone as middle C in Tokyo? Well, there is a, there's a standard, and it's called 440 over A. They strike a note, and when scientifically there's 440 vibrations over A, they know that's the true tone of middle C. And so the middle, it's the same no matter anywhere in the world for everyone. The standard for musicians to be able to be on key is 440 over A. There's a standard for musicians. For, for astronomy, it's the North Star. And it's not true that there's no standards for us to live by. There's universal time standards and sound standards and, and navigational standards. God has established them for us. So I'm glad this morning. Spiritually, we have an anchor. We have a standard by which we can, we can gauge our lives and align and realign our lives. Not by what people think or say, but what has God in his word declared to us. As we look at this, particular individual today, I think we learn so much from lives of people. God has written them, inspired into the record so that we can learn by an example. All of these things were written as examples unto us. And so I think there's a purpose. There's more written about Joseph in Genesis than anyone else, more than Adam, more than Abraham, Isaac, his father Jacob. There are just chapters from 39 to 50. It talks about this young man, Joseph. And so we want to learn from him today how we can live our lives when we are disappointed, when life does not work out the way we have planned. And I think probably that all of us this morning have a good news, bad news story to tell. And in the last chapter of the book of Genesis, let me just read this, you don't need to turn to it, I think 
If you're familiar with this story, you know this is kind of a climactic statement about the life of Joseph. Chapter 50, verse 20, when he's reassuring his brothers who had sold him into slavery, he said, you intended to harm me, but God intended for good to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. King James says, you meant it unto me for evil, but God meant it unto me for good. So there's a a good news, bad news part of Joseph's story, much like good news, bad news is part of every one of our lives. And uh, we, we want to learn today how, by example, to deal with difficult circumstances and disappointing circumstances when the dream that you have turns into a nightmare, when what you expected to happen has not happened the way you expected it to happen. And uh, the living of that experience victoriously for the Lord and not allowing your life to be uh, aborted by the circumstances that uh, you're walking through at, at the moment. I, I was looking for a little confirmation of this thought this week when I opened my email and there was a little note that came from Mary. So thank you, Mary. Uh, it, uh, it's a story about the missing thumb and it talks about the king. And I noticed that a number of you are listed here and you've got a copy of this. So I'm sure you read it and enjoyed it as well. King who had a friend that he was raised with and... Uh, made a companion of him. So it was his job, the friend, to go with the king in his adventures of hunting and, and load the guns. One particular day, he made a mistake in the way he loaded the gun, and when the king fired the gun, it blew his thumb off. But the friend always had a philosophy of life that said, this is good. And uh, regardless of what happened, this is, this is a good thing. And he said that. He made the mistake of saying to the king, this is good. The king said, no. This is not good, it's horrible. And so he took his friend and threw him in jail for the mistake that he had made. Well, as the email said, the king about a year later went hunting again in an area that he shouldn't have been. And this is an African king, and there was a tribe of cannibals that caught him and, and began to prepare him as a meal. And as they were tying he and another friend to the stake, they noticed that he had a thumb missing, and uh, it was their policy never to eat anything that was not completely whole. And so instead of uh, tying him to the stake and roasting him there, they untied him and let him go. And so he realized what an unfair thing he had done. It was a good thing. It really had saved his life. And so he went to the prison and explained to the man, he said, I'm so sorry, I... I made a mistake a year ago. You said it was good. I couldn't see anything good in it, and I placed you in prison, and I'm sorry for all that I've done. That was a bad thing for me to do, to put you in jail. He said, oh, no, that was a good thing you did. If I hadn't been in jail, I'd been with you. That kind of illustrates the story of Joseph, really. It's a good news, bad, bad news story right from the beginning, right from his birth and his early life, the family of, of 11 and 11 other brothers. He was the favorite. I want to give you two phrases, two words here. One is favorite and one is favor. 
They sound alike, but they are very, very different. Let me just give you the, the definition so we can be on the same page together. Favorite means a person or thing given preference over another to the possible neglect of others of equal claim. Again, a person or thing given preference over another to the possible neglect of others having the same or equal claim. Favor means to aid, to regard with kindness, to support, to encourage, to success. Now, Joseph is an illustration of both favoritism and favor. His natural father made him his favorite. His heavenly father showed him favor. And there's a difference. If you've lived in a family, uh, there are many times that you feel as though your parents always preferred your sister or your brother over you. That is favoritism. They could do no wrong, you understand. And so they were shown exceptional treatment uh, to the neglect of maybe the older or middle or younger individual. But, but from his birth, because of who he was born from, uh, this bride of his, his love, Joseph was made a favorite of his father. This caused animosity and hatred. Let me just read some verses. Chapter 37, verse 4, when the brothers saw their father loved him more than his brother, they hated him and could not speak peaceably to him. And then he received dreams from God. Some people get dreams in the night that disturb them a great deal. And we heard about that in the, uh, in the hallway before coming in today. But God gives dreams, and he had given Joseph a dream. Seemed as though he was showing favoritism. That dream that indicated he was going to be a leader, a leader over his brothers, his in fact, his mother and father. And so he said, I, I saw all the sheaves of wheat bowing down to me uh, and doing obeisance to me. And so as a result of that dream, the fifth verse of that chapter, Joseph dreamed the dream, told it to his brothers, and they hated him yet the more. His brothers said to him, Shalt thou indeed reign over us? Shalt thou indeed have dominion over us? And they hated him yet the more. The eleventh verse says they envied him. So he was favorite of his father. That was good. He was hated by his brethren. That was evil. He was given a special coat. A multicolored coat. That was good. But because of that, his brothers stripped it from him, threw him in a pit, and sold him into slavery into Egypt. But as he went to Egypt, he found himself in Potiphar's house, who was a high-ranking, wealthy man. And instead of working in the field like most slaves had to, he was made ruler of his household. That was good. So it's kind of a bad news, good news. But Potiphar's wife saw him, handsome, well-built, according to this chapter, and attempted to seduce him. When he refused, she lied about him to the husband, which was bad, thrown into prison. In prison, God gave him favor with the jailer. And there he met two men, Baker and Butler, who had a dream. And he interpreted the dream for them, which was good. They were 
released. And they were supposed to remember him when they were released. After they get out, they forgot him, which is bad. So with every good news, bad news story, it is how the story ends that makes the difference. If the story ends good, then all of the bad that preceded it doesn't really matter. If the story ends bad, anything good that precedes it has been destroyed. So in our lives, in the good news, bad news record of our lives, it's how the last chapter reads that makes the difference. It's ending good that makes the difference. And so God has an opportunity of redemption in this room this morning. It doesn't matter what the story reads up to this point. It can be redeemed by the power of the cross today. And the story of your life can end on a good note. And all that happened before can be under the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ today. Everyone in this room has the same kinds of record, good news, bad news. And we look at circumstances and we consider those things that perhaps at times God has neglected us and we look at other people and we see him as favoring others. Even sometimes sinners look to be preferred. Can't read David's record and not see that through his eyes God was showing preferential treatment or allowing others to be preferred to his own neglect. I hope to help you see this morning through this man's life something important, and that is what God is doing or his plan fulfilling in our lives. And I really appreciated the emphasis in our time of worship this morning of the potter's hand. That's where we are, are we not? Pastor Lent alluded to that in his prayer time and calling us to a submission to the fact that, Lord, I'm just clay on this wheel that's spinning and Master, you take your hands and shape me and mold me the way you want me to be. And that's really a statement. That's a tremendous statement of faith that we're able to say without reservation, not knowing how that's going to all work out. And we misinterpret the negative things of life to, to be that God is somehow not doing for us what we expected. The dream is not being fulfilled. It's it seems to be a nightmare rather than what God had designed for us to do. I hope to help us see this morning that the path that God chooses to take us is a roundabout path at times. But he is indeed working all things together for good. Men may think it for evil, but God has planned it for good. The steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord, and he delights in your way. Do not misinterpret where you have been or where you are now as somehow having missed what God is doing because it seems, looking at Joseph's life, that he's on a negative course. So much of the steps of his life have a negative uh, vision to them. And I was walking across this platform and I was praying this message into my spirit. And, and I, th that word came to my heart. The steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord, and he delights in their way. And as I, as I 
was kind of quoting that in my mind, in my spirit. The steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord. I saw the steps. And as I, as I saw the steps, I just purposely walked down the steps. And it seems as though that was a visual that I wanted to be able to communicate to you this morning. That Joseph, having dreamed the dream, God had given him the dream of what he was going to bring to pass in his life. His first step was the pit. And his second step was Potiphar. And the third step was the prison. The steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord, and he delights in his way. Now, I saw them as steps down, and that's the way I stepped down. But then the last step was the palace. And where do I go from here? So I took one giant leap, and the last step was to the palace. He went from the pit to Potiphar, from Potiphar to the prison, and from the prison to the palace. And I, I saw it that way, as downward steps. But I looked at it from where I was at, kind of, how do I get back to where I should be? And God said, in your mind it was down, in my mind it was up all the way to the pit, to Potiphar, to the prison, and all the way to the palace. Because in our mind, we see it as negative steps, but God saw it all the way as a fulfillment of his plan right from the beginning. That's the way that dream was supposed to be fulfilled. That was the only way God was going to get him from where he was to Egypt, to the prime ministership there in that land where he could be the savior he could be the vital link in the plan of God to the saving of the household of Jacob and the bringing in of the plan of redemption through his son and the eventual coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, I, I believe that you're identifying. I hope that you're identifying with this man and this message this morning that, that as you walk through where you are, where you've been, you say, you know what, this doesn't seem to match up with the call. It doesn't seem to match up with, with the plan or the dream that I've had. God means it for good. And the providence of God is not at the whim of other people's choices. The plan of God is not at, at, the, at the mercy of other people's decisions. Their envy, their hatred, their actions to be sold, to be stripped, to become a slave. Now there's points along the way that I believe he could have forfeited the favor of God. And I want us to look at those and learn from those in the circumstances he was in. And I can't help but think of this. When I, when I looked at his life, I thought of the same things I did when I, when I was preaching a little series on Daniel a few months ago. And those four young men that were taken from their home, made eunuch there, and, and to serve Nebuchadnezzar in his palace, refused the king's meat, refused the king's drink, refused the dietary things offered to idols and participation in all that went along with that, refused to bow their knee before the image that had been built. 
They were going to serve their God. Someone had done a great job, hadn't they? Somebody, some junior church teacher, some Sunday school teacher, some Royal Ranger leader, some parent had done a good job in investing in them the principles and precepts of truth that they could build their lives upon when they are away from mom and dad, they were away from home, they're in a military service, a secular campus, but they were able to stand in the face of cultural disadvantage because they had something in their soul. Hallelujah. That ought to encourage every Sunday school teacher here this morning. You're doing a great job. There's not a greater ministry than to invest in our kids. Can't all be done at church. Thank God there's some part that we can play, but I think parents have the primary responsibility of building a standard for their life. That no matter where they go, no matter what they're involved in, they're not going to bow. They're not going to share in the, in the cultural things of a, of, a, of a heathen world, but they're going to be able to maintain their integrity. Someone had done a job with Joseph. In spite of all of the negative things going on in his household, someone had done an effective job of investing that standard in his life that when he reached Potiphar's house, he did not quit. When it seemed like life was not turning out the way he expected it to, life was not happening the way he anticipated it would, he didn't quit because that's the first temptation that happens is we are tempted to quit. He could have said, I'm not going to work for this guy. I, you know, I may have to, but I don't like, have to like it. So I'm going to, I'm going to watch the clock. I'm going to punch the time in. I'll put in my time. But he didn't do that. He didn't quit. The temptation when things don't happen the way we anticipate they would, the first temptation is to quit, to give up, bail out, quit. When relationships are not what we expected. When, when the job is not what, when the ministry, when whatever is not what we expected it was going to be, the temptation is to bail out, to quit. But let me tell you, God is leading. Don't quit. Don't quit. Give it your best. If you really knew Joseph didn't at this point, but if you really knew it was God who had led you there, and it says as he began to serve Potiphar, the Lord was with Joseph. Let me tell you something. When you're in God's will, he's gonna, his presence is going to be with you regardless of where you are. Say, you don't know where I'm at. doesn't matter. The Lord knows where you're at. The Lord is with you, and it's the first expression of, of the presence of the Lord in Joseph's life. He was there by the providence of God, stepping in the path provided by God's providential leading. And so regardless of, it's not the large playing field you expected to be on. It's not the place where you expected to be. But that's where God has placed you. Don't quit. Don't quit. 
give it your best. And God gave him favor with him, I believe, because he just simply didn't quit. When life doesn't turn out the way you expect, don't quit. That's the worst time possible to quit. That's the time to say, I'm going to give it my best. I'm going to give the best possible effort that I can because I'm not serving anyone but the Lord. And I learned a long time ago, you can't please everybody. So I don't try anymore. I have one person to please. That's the Lord. And if I'm going to please Him, then I've succeeded. And so there's a, there's a formula that has worked for me, and I offer it to you. Get up in the morning and say, Lord, I have only one person to please today. What do you want me to do? How do you want me to think? How do you want me to speak? How do you want me to behave? Let the words of my mouth, the meditation of my heart be pleasing and acceptable in your sight. And it's important how God sees our lives. It's important how God views what's happening. So it's not a matter of trying to please everybody or anybody. There's only one person you've got to please. That's the Lord. And if you pleased him, you have succeeded. And so he didn't quit. So in the course of what's taking place, the next scene that we have, the next test that comes his way, is common to all of us. And uh, Potiphar's wife saw that he was handsome, well-built, and she began to, to attempt to seduce him. Principle number two, when life does not turn out the way you have expected, you will struggle with temptation. Sin will start to look good. Just mark it down. When you are disappointed in life, when, you are, when you're going through a time when life is not turning out the way you anticipated or expected, you will deal with temptation. Sin will begin to look good. But there's a positive illustration, and I like positive illustrations. I like people that can show us the way it's done. And you can look at them and say, here's how it's, here's how it's done. Joseph is one of those kind of individuals, and I, I just like looking at a positive message of how this happens. I believe if, if there's a message that the church world needs today is to hear this message and to know that the standard of God has not changed for the 90s. The moral standard that God has established in eternity has not changed in the 90s. I'm going to keep preaching this till I get through. The standard that God has set in his eternal word has not changed in the 90s. And I know that there's a culture out there that says, come on, get into the 90s. You know, this is horse and buggy stuff. You're back in the, in the dark ages. But I'm telling you, we're going back into the eternities where God's word is forever settled in heaven. And not one word of this, of this book can be altered or changed. The standard is always going to be the same. What was sin morally 50 years ago, 500 years ago is still sin today. Adultery, fornication is still against the laws of God. And so he is, 
He is living in the favor of God. God gave him favor. So much so that he had the whole household turned over to him. And the only thing that mattered to Potiphar was where he was going to eat. That's what, that's what I read in this chapter. The only thing.